You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, Sixers fans, we are back. Finally doing this uh, since basically the end of last season. Talking a little bit about Sixers, talking about what's been going on with the team over the first week of the season. Of course, you can check out our podcast as well at the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Joining me like he will be every week, representing the Phillies, of course, has the hat on going with the, with the nice hair. I don't know last time you got a haircut, but that's okay, Paul, right? That's a, that's another topic. It wasn't that long. I got it day. trimmed. It wasn't that <laughs> long ago. I got it cleaned up. Let's see. Let, let, me, let me take a look at that, Paul. When's no, the last time long. you got that this cleaned up? Long as hell. <laughs> I got it cleaned up right before the season. It's... It's listen. It's still it's in okay. beautiful shape because it's, I'm, I take care of it very very well. Uh, but it, it, looks, it looks very lockish. It looks yeah, nice and straight. You do you do a good job long. with it. Yeah, it's yeah. You know, how much time do you spend on that it's before you go long. to the games? Well, I I man bun it for the games, man. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> not messing around there. <laughs> well, you always look on point, Paul. Every time I've seen the games too. So there there there's credit to you. One thing that hasn't been on point through the first week of the regular season: the Sixers sitting at one and three. I don't think anybody anticipated Owen start uh, looking back at it. And I mentioned this on the podcast too, at the Boston game in the opener uh, the Milwaukee game on, on the Thursday last week, which was actually a great one to watch. Um, and then the ugly one against San Antonio looking at this right now, again, we're only four games in the Sixers did beat what we imagine will be the worst team in the league, Indiana on Monday. Uh, what are your thoughts on the early, early return so far from, from the off season moves that we saw acquiring the Anthony Melton, Acquiring Daniel House and PJ Tucker again, rocky rocky start so far, but we're only four games into the regular season. Yeah, I mean, I think PJ Tucker's been mostly as advertised, right? Um, the, he had a rough time. Like Jason Tatum was electric in the first game of the season. I don't think anybody, I, I like, I, I think you know you could have brought Dennis Rodman, prime Dennis Rodman, out to guard Jason Tatum, and I think he still would have uh, dropped you know damn near forty points. He was spectacular. I, I thought against Giannis, Tucker was amazing. He was really, really good. Uh, Giannis still shot very, he had a very efficient night, Giannis, but he only had 21 points. So you limit Giannis to 21 points, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. And, and Doc matched his minutes uh, all night long, um, speaking of Tucker. So uh, I think Tucker's been everything you, you perhaps wanted to be. Some uh, bumps in the road here and there, adjusting to playing with Joel Embiid. You got to remember, Tucker's a guy who's never really played with anybody remotely close to uh, a big man like Joel Embiid. So that's a, a factor there, I think, for sure. Uh, as far as the other bench guys go, it was good to see them both. I, I thought both Melton and House had their best stints of the season so far against the Pacers. The first three games were a little underwhelming. I, I think there is – it's it, – it, this their struggles are team-wide to me. Like, I, I have a hard time – sure, like Joel Embiid not being in optimal shape because, you know, he was dealing with the plantar fasciitis right before the season. That's hurt them more than anything, to be sure. He's, you know, an MVP candidate, and he just hasn't been right so far. The last two games, again, much better – uh, energy wise and just looks better uh, over the last two games. But there is just, I, I think 
the newness of guys certainly is a factor. I think Harden being more himself is it's it's great. Don't get like it's wonderful. They need it. They need it for the rest of the season. But I think even that's been an adjustment because this isn't the guy they saw last year. Harden's been much more aggressive, much more explosive, uh, looking to score way more than he did last year. And I think I think that's been an adjustment for Joel Embiid. I think that's been an adjustment for Tyrese Maxey. Uh, and I think even the bench guys, you know, when you're looking at Melton and you're looking at the house, Doc Rivers talked about, you know, these guys just haven't touched the basketball through the first three games. They haven't gotten their hands on the ball. And I think part of that is James Harden just feeling good and just, you know, dribbling the hell out of the ball. And I, I don't mean that as a critique. I don't mean that as a negative thing. I just think he is feeling so good that he has just been a, a little bit more, his usage rate has just been a, a little bit higher and he's just been more aggressive and looking to score. It's all to me, most of the, uh, the first two games, like you already mentioned, I didn't have high hopes. Um, I didn't anticipate them beating either of the top two teams in the Eastern Conference to start the season off. Had I known what I known about Joel Embiid, I would have locked that in. I might have put some money on it. Um, <laughs> if that were the case had I known. Uh, and, and I think you saw that in the first two games. The Spurs game was the one that's just like, uh, that's worrisome. And then, but I, I will say this about that Spurs game. They just didn't show up, right? Like, I, I think that's less about, oh, these new parts and these new guys and blah, blah, blah. I think that's more, they thought, okay, we lost these first two games. All right, let's get right against San Antonio, which I think most people anticipated they would do. And they did not. It, it's a well-coached team. They, yes, they're a team that is not designed. Uh, you know, the roster is not constructed to win games right now, but, they're young, they're hungry, and they have a couple pretty talented players. So if you don't show up, they might beat you. Um, and they they beaten other teams. So it's not just the Sixers. Um, you know, them at Utah, it's not really gone maybe as their their front offices would have planned so far. Uh, they, they've been a little <laughs> better than maybe anticipated. So, uh, but and then the Indiana game, I thought, you know, wire to wire, they were up double digits for most of the game. Harden kind of put it away in the end, but they were, you know, they were much better in that game all around. Um this road trip is going to be the test, uh, you know, two in Toronto, which thank you schedule makers for that. Like that's, <laughs> that's going to be brutal. They'll be lucky. To, I, to me, they'll be lucky to get out with a split um, in that one. And then you got a back to back. You got to go to Chicago on Saturday night. I mean, that's, that's a brutal little stretch they have a, a coming up here. So it's going to be tough. Uh, these are going to be, these three games are going to be a very big early tests. They're not must wins. I'm not going to go that far. If they start one and six, that's not good. It's very bad, but it's not, it's not end of the world bad. Cause it's still, there's still so much time left in the season and their schedule is going to soften up and they're going to get some, some, you know, easier games. Now they got to win those games. They can't do what they did against the Spurs, but yeah, I, I think through three games, the positives, uh, the positive, the main positive is James Harden. Uh, a sneaky positive been to, has been Tobias Harris. He took 10 threes the other night. He hasn't taken 10 threes in a game. He didn't do it last year. Didn't do it the year before. You have to go back to his first full season as a sixer. The last time he took 10 threes in a game. Uh, so that's really encouraging. I think he's been making some really quick decisions, been playing good defense. And I was encouraged by the bench last game. We'll see. Um, you know, uh, the backup center situation, I'm very worried about. And I'm probably going to be worried about that for most of the season. But um, these three games, I think, are going to tell us a lot going forward about what we can expect. 
Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned Tobias Harris. He's shooting forty two point three percent. I mean, easily taking the most threes on, on the team. You're looking at the, what he's doing six and a half threes per game so far. Again, small sample size, only four games. But we mentioned that he's got to develop into being a catch and shoot guy, right? Not being hesitant on on being able to shoot it. He has a nice release, looks good coming out of his hand a lot of the time. Again, but the consistency that's what we want to see from Tobias. And you mentioned James Harden. 26.8 points tied with Joel Embiid for the most on the team. 9.8 assists. You mentioned that too earlier there, Paul. Uh, he's taking the ball a lot in his hands. We're getting used to, again, we're not seeing Houston ball dominant James Harden, you know what I mean, where the ball is in his hand 90% of the time. But he's getting, he, he is kind of being the, the focal point of the offense. And we're seeing Doc a lot trying to get Joel Embiid established, which he said, uh, a lot, you know, during the the post game press conferences at practice, which is we got to establish the big fella. But my issue with that is you're not doing it the right way, right? Nobody wants to see Joel Embiid get the ball in the block and four guys standing around him, right? There's no movement on the weak side, not a ton of movement at the top of the key, especially when Joel's getting the ball at the high post, which is where I get thrown off too, because there's no movement and the, and the, it's very easy to defend for the opposition. When you're looking at the offensive standpoint of things, what do you think the Sixers can do differently? Not, to, I mean, of course, they're still playing well, and it's only four games in, and, and you've mentioned that. We'll, we'll jump into kind of the bigger picture stuff later on here. But what do you think the team can be doing in order to get things going a little bit smoother on the offensive end? What you saw the last game, I think, is, is a good blueprint, and that is Joel Embiid being more patient, deferring a little bit more. I get it. The guy led the league in scoring. He's the most dominant scoring big man in the NBA. He's so gifted in that regard. But he's not in optimal shape quite yet. And, and I'm not worried about that because we're four games into the season. If he's not in shape by game 82, then I'll be concerned. But we're not even close to that yet. Um, and you have James Harden playing really well. And you have Tyrese Maxey kind of not quite off to a great start yet. Not Hasn't quite got going yet. I think it would behoove Joel Embiid and the Sixers to establish the two, the perimeter guys a little bit more, let Joel Embiid be more, not a facilitator, but just let him kind of read the game a little bit more and not just look to score as much. And I think what that will do, and this is maybe not intentional, but what might wind up happening is the more Joel Embiid does that and, and is content to let his teammates you know, do the work and hit shots, the more that's going to give him space, right? Because then it's like, all right, well, James Harden's killing us. Tyrese Maxey's killing us. Tobias Harris is nailing everything uh, from the corner. And so P.J. Tucker's nailing everything from the other corner. So either we're going to keep double-teaming Joel Embiid, and this is going to keep happening, or we can leave Joel Embiid one-on-one, and you, we all know how that ends, typically. Um, mo like, there is not a center. I know, you know, Brooke Lopez did a hell of a job the other night against them, but uh, if you look back over their matchup, Joel Embiid has done pretty well against Brooke Lopez at times, so I don't think I think it has a lot more respectfully has a lot more to do with where Joe is than how good Brooke Lopez is, who is good and has become a much better defender um, in the kind of the twilight of his career here. But with all that said, I think you know him, and not 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 to say use him as a decoy, but more him using his gravity and using the attention that he gets to get other guys looks. Cause I, I, what I love, there was one stretch in that Boston game where it was um, the third quarter, they had gotten down, you know, pretty big double digits. And then it was the run where Harden comes out and it's Maxi and a bead. It was like the best stretch we've seen in Maxi the season. And you could tell Joel and bead was trying to get him looks. He was screening for him, dribble handoffs, like do, doing little things to give Maxi just a little bit of space, which is all he needs with his speed and his ability to shoot the basketball. And that opened things up. So I think, what I would like to see for now, at least until Joel Embiid is 
looks more like Joel Embiid, which again, granted he has uh, over the last couple games, but still I would like to see them play off of him uh, as opposed to look to just go through him on every single possession. I, I think that's the winning strategy, at least for now. Yeah. And, and like you said, you know, Joel dealing with that plantar fasciitis and also uh, start slow, typically start slow. will work himself into shape over 10, 15 games, and then we'll start to see him get up to his MVP level, which we're accustomed to seeing, especially the last couple of years. But I'm with you on that. I think Doc has got to do a better job of getting everybody involved in the offense. And you mentioned that too, like, the bench guys, right, with the Anthony Melton, with Daniel House. Again, these guys aren't microwave scorers. They're not going to come up and score 30 a game, you know, out of nowhere. But they're guys who can consistently put the ball in the hoop. I, I do want to get deeper onto the doc stuff, which you know we have to talk about, Paul, because, of course, what would it be a Sixers podcast without it? Uh, but also defensively. Looking at some of the numbers right now, the Sixers, second worst and giving up two-point field goal percentage at 58.1%. Uh, Given up threes, they're right in the middle of the pack, but we've seen them kind of struggle with that before as well. James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, nobody can mistake these guys for all world defenders at any point in their careers. But when you're looking at the interior defense, what do you think the Sixers can do to adjust to not giving up as many easy buckets as we've seen? Because we saw that in that Boston game, right? And the Milwaukee game was a defensive struggle, 90 to 88. Didn't really see a ton from either team, but on the defensive end, when you're looking at the fact that Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, these guys were getting out and getting to the rim and getting fast break points at will. So what do you think the Sixers can do to counter that going forward, especially against, like you mentioned, we're expecting them to beat teams like Washington. We're expecting them to beat teams like Orlando. Those teams they should be able to beat consistently throughout the season, but different level up when you're playing against the Boston, Milwaukee's, Toronto's, which we're going to see now over, over this little stretch here in the next month or so. Yeah, you you know that when you say transition, I think that's been their biggest issue. I don't, in the half court, um, you know, at least in the last couple games, it's not like there's like a free run to the rim. I think most of the issue, like the points in the paint have been transition. They've been just been guys getting layups Um, on. And I think basketball is like the most cyclical sport when you're talking about offense, you know, good offense leading to good defense and vice versa. If you're turning the ball over, if Joel Embiid is underneath the basket, misses a shot and falls down, you're not ready for the, you're not ready for a transition opportunity. Um, and I think that's been a, a big issue for the Sixers is getting a poor shot on offense, too many guys being underneath the basket and then just teams, other teams running out on them. And then the issue is too, when you have, you know, Joel Embiid, PJ Tucker going for offensive rebounds, the only other guy, the, the two main guys that need to be back are James Harden and Tyrese Maxey. That's not going to cut it. Uh, they're just not good enough uh, defensively um, to to, wart, to to thwart any of these transition opportunities. So I think part of it is just the offense being a little stagnant at times and not getting good looks um, or turning the ball over, leading to to looks the other way. I, I, I'd say that the last two games, even the last three games, I, I would go back to the Milwaukee game. I think Joel Embiid on the defensive end has looked much, much better, uh, a lot more energy. And I, I, I do think it's not as much scheme. Um, not to say scheme isn't an issue, but I do think, maybe that's where their, their newness, uh, some of the new players that might the defensive end, maybe where that's showing up the most, there hasn't been as much cohesion, as much organization. When you're talking about when do we switch? When do we not switch? Um, you know, when do we help? When do we rotate? Like, I, I think you're seeing guys slow late or just miscommunicating entirely on those things. And a lot of that is new guys, um, and, and just not being up to snuff yet on, on, on what they want to do. Um, 
could that be a coaching issue? Perhaps um, a little bit, you know, it, I mean, you know, if you ask Doc Rivers, he'll probably tell you that they're drilling that, you know, into their heads every day. Dan Burke is, is known to be, you know, he's kind of their de facto defensive coordinator. He's known to be a really good defensive mind. So, you know, if, if, if what he, it, it, I, I have to imagine what he's preaching is the right thing to do and the strategy is right. But um, execution wise, I think that's been the biggest issue on the defensive end. And of course, transition, I, I think has been their biggest issue so far. Yeah, they're they're going to have to figure something out to to get their guys back. At least, you know what? If you're if you're the top, if you're one of the top two players, I mean, at the top of the three point line, when you see a shot going up, don't worry about crashing. Get your butt back on defense and try and prevent the easy buckets. And again, easier said than done when you're going against guys like Jason Tatum and Giannis, who are freaks and are going to be able to score on anybody in the open court. But they got to be able to limit that. Paul, let's jump into some Doc Rivers talk. Let's do that after a short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, Paul, you knew I had to talk about it. We've discussed it a little bit before, even in general. We're going to be talking about it throughout the season whenever this team struggles. The Doc Rivers conundrum, right? You're looking at this squad. Daryl Morey, and I've mentioned this before. I said this on Saturday after I did the postgame pod against the Spurs. He has every tool at his disposal to win. Right, this team has two bona fide. We know uh, all NBA type talents with Embiid and Harden, guys who have proven to do it before. A third guy who's a, on the cusp of being an All Star at some point in his career, and Tyrese Maxey. Don't know when that's going to happen. Might be this year. Might be next year. Might happen a couple of seasons from now. Tobias Harris, overpaid, but still a very good, you know, guy in the league. Who, who's I bet you know twenty nine other teams in the league would love to have him again at the at the right price. And then you're looking around at the depth now. PJ Tucker. Uh, just a prominent role player on very good teams over the past, basically the past decade. You got um, guys like DeAnthony Melton, guys like Daniel House. Like we mentioned, like we're not seeing Ferk on Moss be the first option off the bench anymore. No disrespect to Ferk either when I say that. Uh, but the struggles of this team, you mentioned now, you got a, a tough back-to-back in Toronto, and then you go Chicago on on our back-to-back games. I mean, on Wednesday and Friday against Toronto. Saturday they're taking on the Bulls, and then they got a, a home and home against against the Wizards the Knicks, then they got the Suns, another home and home against the Hawks. I don't know what the schedule makers are thinking. I don't like this kind of stuff, but that's okay. Uh, That's a topic for another day. But you're looking at this, and I said this before too. You mentioned this at the beginning of this recording that, okay, they start off three and seven, four and six. Nobody's going to act like the sky is falling. You know, there's a lot of moving parts. They have not no one. Right. (laughs) People will be, but I mean, we're not going to be, you know what I mean? We're not going to be sitting here stressing over, over a poor 10 game start because of the fact that, hey, a lot of moving parts, got to figure out the chemistry tendencies guys got to you know and it's not easy to basically work on a two-week camp I know they were playing a lot together out in LA and and doing all that kind of stuff but I mean again um gonna take time to build up especially playing against that level of competition in the NBA but if we get to the 20 game mark and they're 8 and 12 9 and 11 they haven't looked good how much pressure do you think 
will be on Doc Rivers to turn things around? And do you think Daryl Morey would look at making a change? Because they have a guy on the bench as an assistant who many feel are is ready to take the next step, ready to be a head coach in Sam Cassell. And they also have a former two-time head coach in Dave Yeager, who's had Dave some pretty, yeah. pretty good success um, at the yeah. NBA level. This isn't a guy that's, you know, he's no slouch. He was pretty good in Memphis. Um, made, you know, the most relevant the Kings had ever been was in the last decade mm-hmm. is under Dave Yeager. So the Kings are never um, relevant. Paul, but you're right. That was as close true. as they I got said the that. most relevant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's as close um, as they get. <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, I, Listen, any coach, if they're eight and 12 after 20 games for a team that has championship aspirations, there's got to be pressure on the coach, right? Like that would be insane if there was none. Um, you know, you, you, you're you right that they have the, – what were they missing? They were missing toughness. They were missing depth. What did Daryl Morey go out and do? He got toughness. He got depth. You have two all-NBA players, like you mentioned. You have a guy, Maxi, that's on the brink. And yeah, if Tobias Harris wasn't making $30 million, it was making more like, I don't know, $15 million. Everyone, no one would bat an eye. They think, mm-hmm. ah, this is a pretty good basketball player. They wouldn't really, you know, the price tag is the only thing that makes people pause with Tobias Harris. Still a, an effective, good basketball player. So yeah, if it gets to that point after 20 games, I'm not saying that Daryl Morey will make a change, but you got to think about it, right? Like, even if you think, and I'm not saying I think this way, even if you think that Doc Rivers is the greatest coach ever and you think he's a hell of a nice guy and you really like him, if you're 8-12 and 12 for a team that wants to win an NBA championship, you got to think about it, right? Like, you can't yeah. you can't just you can't keep going. Like, there's got to be something there. There's got to be – the seat's got to get at least warm at that point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know the like, – I'll say this. I know Daryl Morey is a guy who, who obviously – favors analytics and and is a, a, a you know a, a guy who's really brought them to the forefront in the NBA. I don't know how many teams after 20 games that have been under 500 and then wound up winning the NBA finals. Um I, I don't know how many teams have done that. I imagine it's not that many, right? Um yeah. especially in this era where you know where it's the do- it seems to be the teams that dominate for most of the season, uh, you know, whether it's the Warriors or whether it's a LeBron James led team that win the championship. Um, a team like Milwaukee a few years back that was, you know, the best team in the conference and then wins the whole thing. And um, well, the Sixers secondly were the best team, in the conference, but you know what I mean? Um, in an era where the, the good, te- you know, the great teams win and there's not that many surprises, it doesn't feel like you can afford to sit on your hands uh, 20 games into the season. If you're below 500 um, now you, you gotta, there's gotta be context, right? Like if they get to that point and Joel Embiid has missed a chunk of games or James Harden has missed a chunk of games, God forbid, um, or one of the, or just stuff isn't working out, right? Or like, you know, some of the players aren't playing up to snuff, aren't playing well, and maybe there needs to be a roster change. Um, so there, there's those factors as well, but I would say if it gets to that point, you know, I know Daryl Morey really likes Doc Rivers, like flat out, um, contrary to what some people might believe. I, I, that's, that's, you know, they are tied together. Daryl Morey and, and Doc Rivers are, are, you know, for the most part, on the same page with things. I shouldn't say it like that. Of course, they they, they perhaps disagree with the type of centers the Sixers so. should sign as backups. Yeah. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. But um, we spend an hour I, talking about that in another podcast, right? Paul? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think Morey actually likes that perspective of having a, a head coach that thinks, you know, a little differently from him. Uh, you know, because Doc is obviously an old school guy, and that's that's the that's that's part of it. I will say that Doc does; he's not totally like ah, analytics are dumb and I don't like them. But I, I, I clearly he's not Maury in that regard, where he really you know 
really goes by them. But I, I, I'll say that I think it would take a lot for Dara Mori to consider moving on from Doc Rivers. I don't think it's impossible because if it gets to a point where it starts getting, you know, to borrow the phrase, if it starts getting late early, um, Dara Mori can't afford to waste time. This is a team that's built to win now, and they need to win now. When you look at this, Paul, again, we're talking about making a coaching change and, and you're, you're talking about Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers, and, and I'm with you too. The, the pressure is on, right? You don't you don't have – it's not like a situation like the Memphis Grizzlies, right, where, hey, they made the second round last year, and honestly, if John Morant doesn't get hurt, very good chance they get to the conference finals and don't, lo- don't lose to the Warriors. But you look back at that, like, okay, this team isn't one of those that, hey, we want to see baby steps, although people would be very encouraged if you saw the Sixers get to the conference finals, right? And people would be happy first time since – 2001 we'd see that but everybody you know that again that that's not the end goal here so when you're looking at at why do you think it would be difficult for for daryl to move on but besides the fact that hey doc river is very well respected and i'll be honest with you i've dealt with him a ton of times as well you have more there in, in philly but very nice guy um always goes out of his way to answer questions great with the media a, a very good person overall but i find that his systems have been a little bit stagnant right you talk about offensively defensively doesn't look like a modern team so when you when you look at that at what point do you think like just in your opinion obviously this is a total hypothetical when do you think that Daryl Morey would be like I have to do this now like how bad would things have to get for the Sixers in order for him to get there that's a really tough question to answer and I don't know that I I I don't know that Morey knows that you know what I mean like I I don't know that Morey knows what it's one of those to me you don't know it now, but when you see it, you know it, if that makes sense. Like when you see yeah. it happening, you know, okay, this is it. Like this is the point of no return. And I do think, listen, I, I, the reason I like, and, and I'm not even like going to go out, like I'm not a Doc Rivers apologist. I'm not going to go out and allege and just completely, you know, blindly defend the guy. Um, I just like to keep it down the middle because, you know, that's, that's my job. My job is not to try to push to get Doc Rivers fired. That's not what I do. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to present what's out there and the facts. And I will say this. In criticism of Doc Rivers, I think what you mentioned about scheme is fair. I think, respectfully, you see, you know, he leaves the Clippers. Tyron Lue takes over. All of a sudden, that team has a different feel, right? Um, even though, the, you know, last year, clearly, they weren't in a position to win because of the Kawhi Leonard injury, because of, you know, Paul George being in the lineup. But, you know, under Tyron Lue, they've looked like a more creative, more fluid offensive basketball team. You can't dispute that. It's just, it's a fact. Um, and I see uh, w- the one thing that Doc keeps saying, and sure, uh, I'm sure there is like it, you when you watch them, you could see there's some legit- legitimacy to it, and that he's asking them to run certain things, and sometimes they don't run them the way they should, or they're not running them well, or whatever. At what point, though, if you're the head coach, does that not fall on you, right? Like yeah. if they're not running things the way they're supposed to be run, at what point does that? Like, you know what I mean? Like some of, of that course, falls of on you. You have to get these guys to buy into what you're doing and to go with it. And if they don't, you know, there needs to be something I, I, like a, a consequence of some kind or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know. Um, it, it's, I, I think the lack of creativity, we've seen it at times. I think we saw it in the playoffs at times last year, not to say I blame Doc Rivers for them losing. I think I blame much more on James Harden being compromised and, and Joel Embiid being just flat out hurt. I blame it more on that than I blame on anything in particular that Doc Rivers did. But that's not to say he's not without fault. And that's not to say he doesn't, you know, doesn't shoulder a, a good bit of fault. But I also don't, I mean, I, 
we're spending a lot of time on this, but like I, I don't want to. They're one and three. There's a lot of time left, and I don't want to get into this whole. Yes, they need to fire him because they're one and three. Um, so I, I just to just circle back to basically what you, you what you asked is I don't know the number, I don't know the amount of losses, I don't know the point in the season, but I do know that it will get to it, 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 if it gets bad enough, it'll get to a point where where. Maury will have to at least consider it, right? Like if it gets yeah. this, if you're a team that's trying to win a championship and you're just, and you're kind of buried, right? Like you're like, you're like, like, I don't know, in a play in situation and it's like halfway through the season, you that's go. not good. Yeah. Like that's, no. that's, that's, that's not going to do it. I don't know that they're going to get there because I just think they're too talented to get there. And I think some of this will come together and, and, and they're going to overcome a, a lot of their issues, I think. But um, like I said, if it gets to that point, we'll kind of I know a lot of fans have already seen enough and I get it I get why they want to move on but um I think well, the sample size is big enough too right Paul it's no, not like this course. is year, you know he's, year he's two gotten the, he's gotten yeah. more he's gotten a long enough leash that if if Maury came out tomorrow and said I think we need to move on I don't think anyone is gonna you know stand on a rooftop and and complain and say that oh no Doc Rivers didn't get a big enough didn't get a you know long enough chance here I, I think yeah, I think that's that that's a fair way to look at it. But it, 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 I would say that to me, I would be surprised if they make a move in season. It would have to get pretty, pretty damn bad for that to happen. I, I, OK, I, again, if it does get bad, I, I think that that would be ridiculous on Daryl Morey's part, because, again, we've seen what Doc's limitations are. We've seen his stubbornness with rotations, sticking with veterans, Montrezl Hill, Paul Reed. We okay. knew that was good. Yeah. knew that was issue throughout the season um doc said he's going to kind of be open-minded and and depending on the game situation and the opponent he'll roll with those guys we've seen harold be kind of the de facto backup center so far so again there's i you're right i'm not gonna act like oh my god you know they're one and three they gotta make a move no we'll, we'll wait and see what happens but we'll wrap up on this trivia question for you there have been mm. two teams who made an in season coaching change over the last 32 years that went on to win a championship which ones are they in the nba yeah Holy crap, I have no idea. Um, One is fairly recent, so I'll, I'll give you a hint on that. And an in-season change. Yeah. Why can't I think of this? Um, oh, Tyron Lue, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, and the other one was not very recent? In the 2000s, the, this century feels like it's got to be like another LeBron James led team. Um, I give up. I'm out. Pat Riley, when he took over for Stan Van. Ah, and sure. uh, yeah, two, oh, five, oh, six, or I was 21 games in. So yeah. So, I mean, it, it has right, happened. Right, right. Happened very often. Teams do change coaches, but again, it hasn't happened very often, but it does happen. So we'll cite those two examples that there are if you're listening to this podcast, which you know you're probably not, but if you are, <laughs> it does happen. So if Doc Rivers ends up struggling, don't forget. Well, to, I mean, one of those on teams, that. in fairness, one of those teams had arguably the greatest player to ever play basketball, mm -hmm. and the other had Pat Riley taking Waiting over. So respectfully, um, that's those are factors too. Not to say that it can't happen, and not to say that you know someone like a Dave Yeager can't or Sam Cassell can't step in. And do a hell of a job, but I just want to put those things out there. Hey, hey, you know what? Joel Embiid, Shaq comparison. Although Shaq was later in his career at that sure. time, they got a Dwayne Wade. Like, I mean, Dwayne Wade was unreal in that yes. 05, 06 finals. But Correct. I mean, still, you got you got the, you got the talent. 
you got the talent, but again, do you want to take a risk on a first-time head coach like Sam Cassell? You mentioned Dave Yeager. We don't know. I just think that's a, that's something to keep an eye on because, like you mentioned, I don't think the Sixers are in a position right now in the Eastern Conference where you have the Bostons, the Milwaukee's. Miami's going to start turning it on. Brooklyn, obviously, I think is the, is the wild card in all this in terms of the projected top teams that you also don't want to fall six, seven games behind in the standings yeah. and try and make up that ground either, right? So right. again, you're you're playing a game seven in round two or round three. You definitely want to be playing that at home, and and so these games do count. For, for, for something because I, I do think I, I mean I don't get me wrong I'm, I'm sounding like oh my god the sky's falling and the, the Sixers think no I don't think that I think the Sixers are legitimately there with Boston and Milwaukee all those little factors are going to be little separating things that are going to make the difference come time for the playoffs injuries are always the number one you know thing that it comes in the NBA but again home court advantage having little things right I, I think it's important so again, not going to worry about the first 10 games, but if we get to game 20 and this team's sitting at eight and 12, seven, I don't think they will be, but if they are, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, let's wrap things up here, Paul. So, yeah, go ahead. You want to say something? No, I was just going to say, like, I, 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 I think, you know, one of the things when you're talking about Doc Rivers and like the lack of creativity, a guy like Dave Yeager, the one thing he's known for is creativity. Uh, that's mm -hmm. the one thing that a, a lot of other coaches, I, I vividly remember Doc and, um, Eric Spolstra being on the Woj pod together and Woj asked him who was the most difficult coach to scheme against. Both of them said Dave Yeager. So hmm. I, I, and I think that's why doc brought him on is because he, they didn't actually didn't have a personal relationship before that. I think doc just liked what Dave brought to the table. He liked, you know, he, he remembered he was a tough guy to go against same with Dan Burke, who was in Indiana. He just liked what those guys brought to the table. So that's why he brought them in. But um, so yeah, that that's, and I would say, too, like just to, to put a bow on it, the Sixers are a good team. They're an extremely talented team, and I think that's why when things go wrong, we all look at the coach because of course. they have Joel Embiid, they have James Harden, they have all this depth. You got to make it work. Um, otherwise, yeah. it looks like an underachieving team, and when teams underachieve, like the Philadelphia Phillies, they make a change, <laughs> and sometimes you make a change, and it, it helps the team. Exactly. So they don't have to look too far for an example. I did say right that would be the street. last one, but we'll give you we'll give you one more here, Paul. Game one's kicking off on Friday of the mm. World Series. What do you think is going to happen? The Astros are stacked. They've been there so many times before. I haven't lost a game, I believe, so far this this postseason. Correct. Well, what's what's your take on on what's going to happen between the Phillies and the Astros? I think the this is, and I said this on the on the Thirsty Dog Drink Faster podcast yesterday. I think they have to win in five the Phillies, I think, and I not to say I don't think they can they can't. But I think they have to almost because I don't think you want to go back to Houston uh, for game six and seven with the way this is designed with the two, three, two format. Mm -hmm. I do get this vibe, though, Jazz, and you can relate to this. 2001, the Lakers don't lose a game in the postseason, the Western Conference. This little short six foot guy named Allen Iverson shows up, goes into the building. They win game one. Of course, the Sixers didn't win another game after that. No, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I get a little bit of that vibe where the Ashers are riding so high. Not to say this, the Phillies aren't. I mean, the Phillies have only lost two games, um, and like they have, they could have easily won both of those games. But uh, I get a little bit of that vibe for Game One that I could see them going into Houston and stealing Game One um, with Aaron Nola on the mound. And then after that, it's you, know, it's anyone's. It's seven games, so you, you steal home field advantage, and you never know what happens after that. Well, I'm not a big baseball guy, but I, I'm turning into this Philly sports guy, too, because I want to pay attention. I want to go on. I, I don't like the Astros because they're all cheaters, right? We know that, yes. too, uh, everything else. So uh, I'm going to throw on my 
that, even though I don't have one I look well in a hat like you, who looks great, handsome, got the locks falling like that. Not looking too good on this uh, beanbag oh. of, a, of a head looking thing that I have. So we'll skip to that. But uh, we're pulling for the police uh, in this one. I'll be back later on. Actually, uh, if you're listening to this on the audio format, I'll be back with part two after the Sixers game against the Raptors. I'll uh, be talking with Dave earlier there to kind of give you a recap of that one. As you mentioned, Paul did his Thirsty Dogs Drinks Faster podcast. Check that out. That's a Philly sports pod that we just launched a few weeks ago. Him and Seamus Clancy talking everything. Obviously, now the Phillies are the big thing. The Eagles going for 7-0 and this weekend against the in-state rivals, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then you got, obviously, the Stinky Flyers. But again, we'll talk about hey, them on the podcast as well. Hey, baby. hey, I'm a Canucks fan. They're 0-5-2, <laughs> Paul. They haven't won a game, okay? I'm a Canucks fan. So, uh, again, our hockey team's probably not going to be going too well, but uh, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Brothers Podcast Network. You can always check us out wherever you get your fix. And as I mentioned, Paul Hudrick, John Kennedy, Steve Lutman, Jackson Frank, and a ton of talented writers. All of you having, always having you covered at libertyballers.com.